thank you for this wonderful privilege on this magnificent day that you ordained from eternity past so that we might celebrate your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. While the world ebbs and flows away from this truth, Father, we stick with it. We are so very grateful and thankful for the indescribable gift. Your Son, who You sent to pay for our sins. Father, what a privilege it is to bring glory to You this morning by honoring that reality. Thank You for Your patience with us. Thank You for Your loving kindness, Your compassion, for it is renewed each and every morning faithfully. We pray, Father, for those that might be weak, may be struggling, may be lost or confused this Christmas season, who maybe have it all wrong. We pray that this message and ones like it from ordained pulpits across the globe, that they might make it to those hearts, that they might repent and turn to You. We pray also for those in the local assembly that are struggling with physical, emotional, or even spiritual issues. We pray that the one thing that can heal them, Your Word, reaches them as well. We do just ask for Your blessings on this morning's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, this is the 2015 Christmas special. Turn your Bibles, please, to 2 Corinthians 9.15. 2 Corinthians 2 Corinthians 9.15 Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. And that's where the Spirit wants us to start this morning. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. I want to open and close this morning with a video, so if you wouldn't mind, gentlemen, get the lights. Take a deep breath I don't know what to say when I look in your eyes You made the world before I was born But here I am holding you in my arms tonight Nowhere, nowhere Jesus sorry man Nowhere, nowhere God will 
Again, 2 Corinthians 9.15 really sums up what our attitude should be at Christmas time. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. Amen? What a wonderful way to begin a Christmas special. And I suppose if we were all forced to vote for a favorite verse, this would be at the top of the list. But rather than just run right into a typical Christmas special service, reading about the nativity scene and Jesus' early years, then the cross, rather than just restating the following wonderful, simple truth, Jesus was born to die, for He is the Christ. We know this. We ought to know it. We ought to abide in it, live in it. There's not much more to say about it. John 11, 25 and 26 reads this way. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? So rather than the, quote, traditional approach this morning, the Spirit wants to take a different angle into Scripture. Jesus asked Martha in John eleven twenty six, Do you believe this? And here I am speaking 2,000 years later to a group of believers who have answered this very same question in their souls. At some point, 
in your past. The Holy Spirit confronted you, convicted you, asked you a simple question. Do you believe this? And as we've been noting now for months, ever since the, quote, gospel reload, there's a certain series of contemplation implied in that simple question, do you believe this? It begins along the lines with, do I have a problem that I cannot solve? And continues with, do I believe in the God of the universe? And furthermore, do I believe that He is able to save me? And if so, how? And when His Spirit convicts you of the indescribable gift that is Jesus Christ, the question on the table then is, Do you believe this? I was thinking about it. Um, Christmas really is about giving. But not the kind that the retailers will have you buy into. For they are simply trying to sell you merchandise. Reminds me of a more famous merchandiser. Ezekiel 28.16 up here on the board. By the abundance of your trade, Satan in view, it's from the Hebrew word rekola, which means also to merchandise. The great merchandiser, in other words. By the abundance of your trade, You were internally filled with violence, and you sinned. Therefore I have cast you as profane from the mountain of God, and I have destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Satan is the great merchandiser throughout human history. And frankly, the retailers who rob the glory of Christ for the so-called glory of a new video game or a cell phone or a bicycle or whatever, they are Satan's disciples. Last Christmas I taught a lesson called Ho, 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 Santa's Religion. I actually got a request for it from someone in the congregation that they might give it to a family member who was contemplating giving their own children the truth about Santa and his religion. Why? You know why he's got us thinking this way? Because most people think of a man in a red suit peddling religiosity, you know, like, you'd better be good or else. Most people think of that man when they think of Christmas. Most children could care less about Jesus when they think about Christmas. To them, it's about presents and nothing less. To them, it's about making Christmas lists and praying to God of all persons that they get what they ask for from the satanic agent Santa Claus. Now, some people take offense, but I respond with, you shouldn't be teaching your children lies in the first place. Shame on any of us for lying to our own kids and then robbing Jesus of His rightful glory. So sure, it's the season of giving, but the anchor of it ought to be Jesus, the indescribable gift not some judgmental dead man in a red suit who supposedly flies around the world in a single night. And by the way, I was thinking about it. Who's the only person who could ever be that many places in that amount of time and give gifts? God. 
In any case, tis the season of giving, for sure. We're going to get back to the full passage, the whole chapter, where we began, and see why it is that Paul was closing with a train of thinking, thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. First, some context. Paul was commending the Corinthians for taking an offering for the believers in Jerusalem who were in need. He was also calling them back to their original eagerness to give, as they had been sidetracked by false teaching. Doesn't that sound a lot like what just came from this pulpit? It should. He was calling them back to their original eagerness to give. Why? Because they had been infected, influenced, away from the simple things. Christmas is not complex. There shouldn't be any anxiety whatsoever at Christmas. But it seems like everyone's on edge at Christmas. I realize that most of you at one point or another have been bountifully or giving bountifully to a variety of causes, not the least of which is this ministry and this church. And I believe what the Spirit's reminding us all of this Christmas is the same thing that the Spirit was reminding the Corinthians of 2,000 years ago through the Apostle Paul. Again, on the board, the context before we get into the passages that Paul was commending the Corinthians for taking an offering for the believers in Jerusalem who were in need. He was also giving or calling them back to their original eagerness to give as they had been sidetracked by false teaching. So let's read this entire chapter for context, having already seen the closing verse in the chapter twice already, go to verse 1, 2 Corinthians 9, 1. We're going to read the entire chapter this morning, stop and take note along the way. Verse 1, For it is superfluous, that just means unnecessary, for it is superfluous for me to write to you about this ministry to the saints, And he's talking about the giving ministry. It's one way that we can minister to others, isn't it? To give of ourselves. And there was a time previously to the context of this passage that the Corinthians were wholeheartedly willing to take a sizable collection for those needy people back in Jerusalem. So that's the ministry in view. For I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the Macedonians, Namely, that Achaia has been prepared since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. So just so you understand what Paul's talking about, just a refresher map up here in the board in our uh, biblical times. There's Achaia here, there's Corinth, and then Macedonia is way up north. So you can imagine that Paul and his ministries and his missions uh, came into contact with a lot of people in this geography. And the word would have spread of such things, such as a sizable amount of giving or this ministry that's in view. And he's saying that it's encouraging for other people, even far away, to hear about such things. You don't think it's encouraging for other Christians to drive by and see that parking lot full? You don't think it's encouraging for all of us to gather together, to see each other? To be reminded that there still is unity in the faith, even though everyone else is really uptight about what's supposed to be a celebration of our Lord? I'm encouraged. I'm lucky I'm up here not bawling my eyes out right now. I sent a simple, how are you, to someone I hadn't, conversed with in a while, about 20 minutes before class. And they got back to me and said, 
how grateful they were. Not to me, to the Lord. Because this person knew that it wasn't even me. Why would I choose that person out of the blue? The Holy Spirit said, send this person a note. They need it. And they were completely moved by it and gave glory to God. So people are encouraged when you give of yourself. Verse 2. For I know your readiness of which I boast about you to the Macedonians, that's up north, namely that Achaia, that's that whole area that Corinth was a part of, has been prepared since last year, and your zeal is stirred up, most of them. But I have sent the brethren in order that our boasting about you may not be made empty in this case, so that, as I was saying, you may be prepared. Otherwise, if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to speak of you, will be put to shame by this confidence. So I thought it necessary to urge the brethren that they would go on ahead to you and arrange beforehand your previously promised bountiful gift. In other words, Paul doesn't want to show up with others who have been previously encouraged by the promise of the Corinthians with this ministry to give to the needy. He doesn't want to show up, and it's not there. And the promise has been somehow broken because of the infiltration of false teaching. So he says, I thought it necessary to urge the brethren that they would go on ahead to you and arrange beforehand your previously promised bountiful gift so that the same would be ready as a bountiful gift and not affected by covetousness. Covetousness up here on the board is from pleonexia in the Greek. It means greediness. Lust refers to the natural desire to keep valuables for self. It is indicative of selfish, prideful unbelievers, but shouldn't be for believers who give from a root of gratitude for Christ. And that's what he was guarding against. Again, means greediness, lust, refers to the natural desire to keep valuables for self. It is indicative of selfish, prideful unbelievers, but shouldn't be for believers who give from a root of gratitude for Christ. What had been going on uh, was that there were false teachers spreading lies about Paul and true teachers saying that they were only in it for the money, spreading lies that they would take the large offering and keep it for themselves instead of passing it along to the needy back in Jerusalem. You know, there's quite a walk back to Jerusalem. And the false teachers were basically undermining Paul in this particular ministry that had started with a promise. As was often the case, Paul was fighting the good fight for the gospel that motivated him in this endeavor. So he was exhorting them wholeheartedly. Verse 6. Now, this I say, as a point of reminder, I suppose, in context, this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. I think of the parable of the wheat and the tares. Think about the the reaping that's going to go, the bountiful reaping of saved souls because of Jesus' giving of himself on the cross. So here's your first stop and think principle this morning. So please stop and think. I can't give you a better better cue than that, I'm just saying. (laughs) Christmas and 2 Corinthians 9, 6, reaping and sowing. If you want the most out of Christmas time, you've got to give the most. 
And I don't mean the most, more than the next person, not that. I'm talking about you. If you want the most out of Christmas time, you've got to give the most. Give Christ first, his gospel. Give others your heart. Give all your love. Those are the greatest gifts. Again, if you want the most out of Christmas time, you've got to give the most. Give Christ first, his gospel. Give others your heart. Give all your love. Those are the greatest gifts. To give retail gifts to others is fine, but it's not in light of the gospel, or if it's not in light of the gospel, then they are wood, hay, and straw. In other words, what good is any gift from a believer if it is compulsory? and not a way to reveal Christ's heart in you. What good is any gift if it's compulsory, meaning you feel you're under compulsion to give, like you have to give? Well, it's Christmas time, so cha-ching. It's Christmas time. I've got to keep up with the, the neighbors, with the Joneses. Promise my wife a 17-carat diamond ring. Because last year it was only 16 carat. And the Jones has got a 16.5 carat. So. I don't feel like doing it. It has nothing to do with Jesus Christ at all. That's no good. So retail gifts are fine. But if it's not done, or if it's done under compulsion... Might as well keep your money, frankly. What good is any gift, or giving, for that matter, if your heart isn't first moved by gratitude towards your Lord and Savior? Again, the point on the board, if you want the most out of Christmas time, you've got to give the most. Give Christ first, His gospel. Give others your heart. Give all your love. Those are the greatest gifts. I know, I know, it's easier to swipe a credit card. It's easier to flip somebody a $100 bill than spend an hour with them in deep, meaningful conversation about Jesus Christ. Sometimes. Verse 6 again. Now this I say... He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now look at the very next verse, verse 7. Each one must do as just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. That's the Greek word, hilaros. Cheerful, properly propitious, Disposed because satisfied. Describing someone who is cheerfully ready to act because already approving. Describe spontaneously non-reluctant giving. That's what cheerful giving is. That's why he doesn't want you to go out under compulsion just because it's Christmas time and give. Motivation matters to God. And it matters to other people, too. Strong's has it as cheerful, joyous, prompt to do anything. Hold your thumb there where we find the joyful giver, capital G. Go to Hebrews 12.1. Hold your thumb. Go to Hebrews 12.1. Since we're on the topic of joyful giving... This, of course, our great example of giving it all. Hebrews 12, 1. So here we find the joyful giver. Hebrews 12, 1. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which 
so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. He gave his life, gave everything. We like to say that love hung on a cross. For the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Go back to verse 7 now. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. So there's a picture of the joyful giver, the one we are celebrating here this morning. Each one must do as just as he is purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful, a joyful giver. That's the point on the board. A joyful giver. Tis the season of giving. However, motivation counts more than anything when bringing glory to God. Up here on the board, we are witnesses for Christ after all. One of the most beautiful things to ever see in time is a truly giving heart. I was reflecting on this. Um, If Santa is perceived as the judge and the giver, where does that leave Christ's heart in you? His glory. Think about that. If someone else is the judge and the giver, where does that leave Christ's heart in you? His, His glory even. Again, we have a wonderful scriptural reminder this Christmas. Verse 7, Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful, a joyful giver. Let's press on where Paul makes that famous statement. Verse 8, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. We looked at that Greek word, parasuo, recently. Overflowing, that's what abundance means, to overflow from God, and then our cup is filled, and we overflow into the cups of others, and so on and so forth. And God makes this happen. Paul makes this statement, on the coattails of, for God loves a cheerful giver. So think about that. How appropriately placed is it? This echoes of our previous principle up here on the board. Listen, he loves a cheerful giver, and those who give get more poured out into their laps, and so on and so forth. So, Principle on the board. If you want the most out of Christmas time, you've got to give the most. Give Christ first, His gospel. Give others your heart. Give all your love. Those are the greatest gifts, folks. Here's some righteous, encouraging perspective for you. And it's your second stop and think principle this morning. So... Just saying. Stop and think. You already possess everything you could possibly need to give this Christmas. Amen? You already possess everything you could possibly need to give this Christmas. So why is anyone or has anyone in here been anxious? You already possess everything you need. I'm not sure about you all, but I literally, it's a fight. I'm not kidding you. Of course I am thrilled to be celebrating our Lord's birth. But I struggle, personally, with the temptation of depression. 
on Christmas. Now, that may sound odd coming from a pastor, but here's why. Because I see so many people actually anxious about giving. They don't believe this, I guess. They're actually anxious. Christmas stirs up anxiety in their souls. How can that possibly be? Unless there's a lie that they are somehow influenced by. So for me, there's a great temptation to become even depressed on Christmas because that's what I see. I can't go outside my door. Everybody's running, everybody's running around and or running people over. <laughs> go to what? What is it? Is it Black Friday, that day after Thanksgiving when everybody goes bananas? Is that when like Walmart opens at midnight and, and it's like a free-for-all of Buffalo going to the one flat-screen TV that's selling for $3? And people are pulling each other's hair out. That's why I shave it. I go right to the back. Nobody can get me. They reach, but they get nothing. Anybody? Amen? Greg? All right. I think this was just to look good. Well, that. I'm just kidding. How are they? I mean, where does anxiety come from? In Christmas. You say the... You say, oh, it's Christmas time. Is it again? I'm still paying off last Christmas. That 17-carat ring got me in that. i got to work three jobs now. And then I just learned that Jones has got a 17.5. I'm going cubic zirconia. I'm just going to lie. Oh, that's real. Just don't get it checked out. Don't ever clean it. Seriously, I'm making you laugh, but what's going on? For example, what if you're a parent and you don't have a lot of money to spend on so-called Christmas presents? Should that even be a concern? Seriously. Should that even be a concern? Are you worried now that your, quote, poor kids might conclude that they weren't, quote, good enough this past year since Santa hardly brought them anything? Is that the fear? Or even worse, are you going to put you and those same kids in debt, risking the future stability of the family so that you don't, quote, feel bad about Christmas presents? Well, that whole scene depresses the heck out of me. It makes no sense. In the first place, those parents shouldn't even be lying to their kids about Santa Claus. Secondly, the greatest gifts we have to give have nothing to do with presents under a Christmas tree. If that were the case, I guess we'd better give Jesus a call right now and tell him to hold still while we wrap him up and put him under the tree just in time for Christmas morning. I mean, that's silly, right? But... How many Christians are filled with anxiety this very day because they are financially strapped? What does that have to do with anything? What does financial status have to do with Christmas? Why why are they even connected? Retailers, of course. Merchandisers. Who's the great merchandiser? Satan. He loves it. Loves it. But why does financial status have anything to do with Christmas? The retailers and the credit card companies will tell you it has everything to do. So shop away and worry about the debt later. And while we're at it, let's consider our recent lessons on family, too. What's the Spirit been saying about that? Essentially, Satan hates families. And God loves families. Satan hates families, while God loves families. Satan encourages parents to lie to their children about Santa and then feel anxious about Christmas presents. The whole thing is hideous. All the while, God is teaching interested believers lessons like this one. 
reminding them of the greatest gift of all, His Son. Again, the point of the board. You already possess everything you could possibly need to give this Christmas. Give someone the gospel. Remind them of Jesus Christ. Share a hearty laugh. What's that got to do with finances or Christmas presents? Nothing wrong with those things, but if the motivation's wrong, you see, if you're in bondage, then it's no good. Again, verse 8, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. Hold your thumb. Here's some additional encouragement. Go to Luke 6.38. Talking about giving. I mean, this morning's message is about giving. And we learn what it means to give from the great giver of all time, our Lord. Luke 6.38. Give, and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. Do you really think that Jesus was talking about Christmas presents wrapped under a tree? Seriously. Do you really think that Jesus, in that passage was talking about Christmas presents under a tree. But yet he was talking about giving, was he not? So if you want to get the most out of Christmas, you've got to give the most. And it has nothing to do with finances. Up here on the board, Christmas giving, it's true. Christmas is the season of giving. Giving what, though? The answer is love. Jesus Christ was born to die. Love hung on a cross. The end. Christmas is the season of giving. Giving what, though? The answer is love. Love doesn't cost a dime, and no believer is without it this Christmas. We love because, remember haughty in the Greek, we love because God first loved us. So if you're a believer, you have love to give. Now you may be a little quirky, maybe a little off color, but you have love to give, which is everything during Christmas time if you want to net it all out. The answer is love. Love doesn't cost a dime, and no believer is without it this Christmas. If you have kids, give them love. If you have grandkids, give them love too. Friends, family, whoever, give them love. Here's your third stop-and-think principle. Christmas giving. Love is the least expensive, most valuable gift ever given. The well never runs dry. The account is never overdrafted. The givers are never broke. Love is the least expensive, most valuable gift ever given. The well never runs dry. The account is never overdrafted. The givers are never broke. How can this be? How can we give the very best thing there is to give in the entire universe like that? Well, back to 2 Corinthians 9.8. 2 Corinthians 9.8. How can that be? suppose it has to do with the fact that God is love and God is infinite, so... 
2 Corinthians 9, 8, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, grace being an expression of love, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. From a recent lesson, the Spirit explained to us what the great deeds or the greatest deeds of all are using this very same passage, if you recall, just a couple of weeks back. Every good deed up here on the board. What's the greatest of all good deeds? This is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. John 15, 12. The answer is to love. Here we are again. Love has a tendency to overflow if it's his love. Not selfish love, not manipulative love, not fleshly love. His love. Parasuo, it overflows. It's in abundance. It never runs dry. You have everything you need to give. So why the anxiety? So very true, my friends. The greatest of all deeds is to love. I suppose the challenge for those of you who might have ample finances is that you too see what the Spirit's saying here. That is to say that giving at Christmas time really has nothing to do with finances, whether you have them or not. It doesn't have anything to do with finances. The Lord God desires that we give ourselves. Isn't that what Jesus did? The Lord God desires that we give ourselves. Verse 9. As it is written, He scattered abroad, He gave to the poor, His righteousness endures forever. Now He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, those are relative to physical needs. Nothing wrong with giving with the right motivation. It can come from a heart of love. It's not wood, hay, and straw in that sense. It's precious stones. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness in every way. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, remember the context there, was the needy receivers in Jerusalem, but, it, but is also overflowing. That's that Greek word again, parasuo. It overflows through many thanksgivings to God. It's what it produces. It's not the actual gift itself. It's the evidence of God in the givers. It's the evidence of God's love in the act of giving. That's the true vein, if you would, of encouragement in this ministry that Paul's talking about. That's the same vein that right, might run through you righteously at Christmas time. It's not about what you can or can't give to your children. It's what you're teaching them in the process. It's what they see in you. Regardless of what's under the Christmas tree, seriously? Who, what are we celebrating, anyways? So Thanksgiving is a byproduct, so to speak, of this ministry. Verse 13, because of the proof given, you see he's talking about the proof, because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all, while they also, by prayer on your behalf, yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Up here in the board, to nail that down, the gift of giving. Do you see? It's a gift in itself to be able to give. It's not necessarily, you know, I've taught this in the past, it's first order and second order blessings, right? It's the same idea. It's not 
the thing. It's what you think of the thing. It's how that thing is received. I mean, let's face it. I could walk up to someone right now and say, hey, you know, well, think about what I said. Forget this. Forget this poor little thing. I mean, I could give someone that and be like, wow, that's so amazing. I have chapped lips. Go figure. But think about what I said before, <laughs> before class. How are you? Three words. Heartfelt response. That's giving. That's giving. That's what he's saying. There's no... (laughs) Let me read the point on the board. The gift of giving. The issue is there's a gift in the giving. The needy receivers in Jerusalem will realize that God had worked through the Corinthians by grace. The same goes today when we give in any way with the heart of Jesus Christ, which is love. The same goes when we give in any way with the heart of Jesus Christ, which is love. A lot of people don't understand that to give, that part of it, is a gift. The very ability and having the wisdom to realize that you can never outgive God or exhaust His resources. That's a gift. That's why I said, you know, stop and think principle. You already have everything you need. The, the ability to give. And nobody's broke here. Do you understand? Every one of you has love. Amen? Everyone can give it then. Amen? You're rich. You're super wealthy. You have the greatest currency ever known to man, love. And you can share it abundantly. And the account never goes dry. And there's no credit card company going, run out of love? For 24.9% interest, I will rake you over the coals for the rest of your life for this one little bit of love. And it's just yours, just today. But sign now. Everybody's like, oh! There's none of that. There's no merchandising going on with the great currency of love. So a lot of people don't realize, I'm convinced of it, a lot of people don't realize their own abilities to give. That they have something to give that's way more valuable than a Christmas tree wrapped with giant boxes and those kind of things. I'm not saying there's anything wrong. Everybody's like, oh, I guess I'll go home and return all these things I was going to give my kids. <laughs> Stop being petty. <coughs> Might be missing the point. To give is a gift, just the ability. And then have the wisdom to understand that you can't outgive God, and the, the well never is exhausted. So Jesus said, give, 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 basically. Go to Acts, hold your thumb, go to Acts 20, 35. And that's how Jesus felt about it. Give, why? Because you're the one who's going to end up being blessed out. You want more out of Christmas time? You want to get rid of the anxiety? Learn what it is to give of yourself. Acts 20:35 and everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. I'm not talking about Christmas presents, man. I mean, those are fine. There's nothing wrong with those things. But that's not the crux of Christmas time, folks. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Jesus laid down His life willingly so that you all would be given the same opportunity in time. 
Jesus laid down his life willingly. Nobody took it from him. And that was pleasing to God. He laid down his life willingly to set you free, Galatians 5.1, to what? To lay down your life for others. Because that's the greatest love. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for his friends. So you've been set free by love overflowing from the cup of Jesus Christ himself, who we're celebrating this season. That love overflowed into your cup, and then your cup overflows, perisauo, abundantly, into the cups of others. That's how we think about Christmas, folks. Jesus Christ laid down his life willingly so that you all would be given the same opportunity in time. So I say, it's good to be alive. Aren't you glad to be alive? Better yet, aren't you glad to be alive in Christ this Christmas? Amen. Share the joy. Share your life, your heart, your love this season. It's good to be alive, my friends. There is no cause or reason whatsoever for you to be anxious because it's Christmas time. None. I say, personally, if those things, whatever's making you anxious, cut it off. Seriously. So, so what? Someone's going to be, what, upset? If it's causing you anxiety and it's detracting from your, quote, Christmas experience, cut it off. Cut it off. It's not, quote, good giving if it's done under compulsion. And who cares if the person says, oh, great, El Cheapo, I get his love. I really want that. I want an iPhone 6 Plus, mister, for the new data plan. 20 gig. Love. Smile at them and say, it's good to be alive, my friend. Sorry you're still in bondage. Watch this class from the weird bald guy, somebody else that taught something similar. Maybe you too will be set free. But for me, it's good to be alive. You are free. Enjoy it this Christmas season. Share it with others, for that is pleasing to God. Go to 1 Corinthians 15.55. I don't want to be waltzed back into the sphere of death because it's Christmas time. I don't want to be in bondage. I want to be free. I want to enjoy the love of God in this celebration. 1 Corinthians 15, 55. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Man, it's good to be alive. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Now back to where we began this Christmas special message. 2 Corinthians 9.15 Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. Say this with me. Say it's good to be alive with me. It's good to be alive. Amen? Point on the board. Aren't you glad to be alive? Better yet, aren't you glad to be alive in Christ this Christmas? Share the joy. Share your life, your heart, your love 
this season. I want to close with an upbeat song that says just that. Get the lights, guys. Father, thank you again for this morning, for this message, for this wonderful time given by your grace, motivated by your love, so that we might celebrate the true meaning of Christmas. Thank you for reminding us of these things. Thank you for giving us the gift of giving. May we cling to that reality. May we understand that the well of your love never runs dry, that we have everything we need right now, we always have as believers, to give in abundance so that our love may overflow into the cups of others. What a privilege it is to have this wisdom, Father. Thank you for it. May we cling to it this season and not be distracted by the retailers and the merchandisers of this world, motivated by Satan himself to rob you of glory that is righteously yours. 
We pray as we take this morning's lesson out to a lost and dying world, Father, that seems so confused, yet it's so simple. May we encourage each other in the unity of faith. May we celebrate your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who was born to die. We pray for traveling mercies as each and every one of us goes back to our home lives. We ask these things in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. 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 Amen.